This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read God's Word tonight in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. The epistle of Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to the Philippians and to us, the church of Jesus Christ today. We read verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Philippians 1, verse 12 through 30. The text is verse 27 of Philippians 1. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, 
that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. The text this evening is verse 27 of Philippians 1. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. To begin tonight, I refresh your memories, or those who have not been here, I speak to you of the context of what we have already considered in our series of sermons in the book of Philippians. Paul writes to the Philippians while he is in Rome under house arrest. He is suffering bonds or chains for the sake of Christ and has been in Rome for about two years. Paul is facing the final days before his verdict and sentence at the trial before Caesar. Soon Paul will hear either guilty and worthy of death or he will hear innocent and worthy of immediate release. From a human point of view, Paul faced the real possibility of dying. Nevertheless, while Paul faces these afflictions, Paul does not focus inwardly on himself, but he focuses outward upon Christ and upon his people, the church, especially now the church of Philippi. He thinks outside of himself, seeking to encourage the Philippian church. The Philippian church faced many troubles, as we have seen. They were worried for one, worried about Paul, the great missionary of the New Testament, worried that he was now captured and he was going to die and the gospel was going to die with him. They were worried concerning their messenger, Epaphroditus, that they had sent to Paul with a monetary gift. He had fallen sick. They were worried because of the persecution that they themselves were suffering in Philippi. And they were struggling with disunity in their own church. And Paul writes, therefore, thinking outside of himself, he writes in love for the Philippian church. He writes this personal letter to encourage them, a letter of great joy. In verse 3, we've seen he gives thanks to God for the Philippians. Thanks be to God. 
He especially thanks God, verse 5, for their fellowship with him in the gospel. In verse 9, he writes of his prayer for them to God, that they would love, and that their love might abound more and more toward God and toward one another. He explains to the worried Philippians that Christ was actually using his bonds for the furtherance of the gospel, contrary to what the Philippians thought. Gospel was not bound. But going out to Rome, even as he was in prison, he explains to the Philippians that God was even using envious rival preachers that took advantage of Paul being in prison to speak all manner of evil against Paul. That Christ was using those preachers too for the furtherance of the gospel. And he explains, as we saw last week, that even if he has to die, that that too would be for the furtherance of the gospel and for his own salvation. And now we get to our text in verse 27. Everything has been leading up to this. Here is the main calling that Paul has had in mind for the Philippians. The main calling that has been implied in all the preceding verses. And now he makes it explicit. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It's all about the gospel. That's all that matters. Live according to it. According to that gospel. Only this. Only this, Paul says. That's why he starts out that way. Nothing else matters nearly as much. Only this. And so to you young ladies who make confession of faith tonight too. Only this. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And to you beloved. Who partake of the Lord's Supper next week. As you come remember only this. Let your conversation be as it becometh. The gospel. In our text, Paul alludes to three parts of Roman culture. I bring those to your minds before I begin the main body of this sermon. Philippi was, in, was a Roman colony in the Roman Empire, often referred to as Little Rome. And it was full of Roman culture. Three parts Paul refers to in our text. First, Roman citizenship. The members of Philippi were mostly Roman citizens, or at least those who knew about Roman citizenship and coveted it. Along with Paul, who was a Roman citizen himself, they knew about the benefits and the duties of Roman citizenship. Second, Roman Soldiers or Roman fighting. The members of the Church of Philippi were familiar with military service. 
and loyalty with that military service to Caesar. The history of Philippi is fascinating. You can read it on your own. But part of that history is that Philippi had been a battleground. Brutus and Cassius had assassinated Julius Caesar. And in Philippi, two men named Antony and Octavian had come, gathering their soldiers to defeat these traitors. And conquering those traitors at Philippi, they had brought the Roman Empire to rule with greater power. Octavian became Caesar Augustus, and Philippi was colonized. Soldiers in that very army that won the battle in Philippi were citizens at Philippi, and maybe even members of the church there. The people of Rome are familiar with Roman citizenship, Roman loyalty as soldiers, and third, they were familiar with Roman athletics. The strong men of Rome would not only fight as soldiers, but they would engage in competitions in the Roman games in the city of Philippi also. This is the Roman context that the church of Philippi and now you too are familiar with. And in that context, Paul writes this text. Let your conversation be as becometh the gospel. Or to put it another way, derived from the text, this theme, conduct. Let your conduct be consistent with the gospel. First, consider the meaning. Second, the manner. And finally, the priority, the meaning, the manner, and then the priority. When Paul says in our text, let your conversation be that which becometh the gospel, the word conversation is quite different in the original. That word conversation literally means be a citizen. Live as a citizen. And so we can translate this text. Conduct yourself as a citizen consistent with the gospel. As we said in the, in, in the introduction, this was a familiar concept to the Philippians. Many of them, when they saw this word, thought of their Roman citizenship. The word brought to their minds, especially two things about their Roman citizenship the benefits they had as Roman citizens, as well as the duties they had as Roman citizens. The Philippians thought, first of all, of their benefits, the privileges, the rights they had as Roman citizens. For example, they did not have to pay much tribute or taxes to Caesar. They were free citizens of Rome. They could buy and sell property unlike many other people. They received protection from the government as citizens of Rome. They had a right to a trial as Paul was enjoying a right to a trial as citizens of Rome. They were not allowed to be whipped before they received the trial as Paul claimed his right in that city of Philippi itself. 
They could appeal to a higher court, even to Caesar, as Paul did. And if condemned, they had the right to a quick death without torture, the death of beheading. Citizenship made the Philippians think about their rights or benefits as Roman citizens. Not only that, but they thought about their duties as Roman citizens. They thought about their allegiance to the emperor. And even if they did not feel so loyal to the emperor, they thought about their duty to honor that king. They thought about their duty to be faithful in his service. They thought about the duty they could not engage in too, where Caesar commanded that they call him Lord rather than Jesus, Lord. As citizens, they thought about their duty to obey Rome's laws or face the consequences. As citizens, they thought about their duty to go to war when Rome commanded them and drafted them to it. And perhaps our minds go there too when we hear the word citizenship. Be citizens, the text says, and we think about our American citizenship. We think about our privileges, our constitutional rights, how we should have those rights and how mandates today should not be infringing upon those rights. We think about our right to vote, which we can engage in in November. We think about our freedoms of speech, our freedom of religion to worship today. We think about our benefits and we think about our duties to pay taxes, to follow laws, to honor our president and to honor our governor, even if we do not agree with her. As citizens, we think upon how we may have to go to war if we are drafted. But Paul, of course, is not primarily referring to Roman citizenship, much less to American citizenship. But Paul was referring to a far greater and a far higher citizenship, which overarched any kind of citizenship in any state or country. That is the citizenship of the kingdom of Christ. Be citizens, Paul says. Be citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Conduct yourself as citizens. Consistent with the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. That's the idea of this text. Paul has in mind the truth of Hebrews 11, that God's people live by faith as citizens of a better country that is, and heavenly. Many of you memorized that in fourth and fifth grade. That you are citizens of the heavenly country to live as pilgrims and strangers here below looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Whose Caesar, we can put it, whose emperor is not a mere man, but Jesus Christ himself, who reigns on high as our risen and ascended Lord. As... Roman citizens and American citizens think about their benefits and their duties. Christians think about 
their benefits and duties as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that primarily, far greater, far more glorious, far more permanent is this citizenship which Paul refers to. Today I preach to you the gospel of your citizenship, beloved. The citizenship which you stood up this evening to confess. I belong to the king. A king far greater than Caesar himself. I belong to his kingdom. But that not of yourselves. Because, oh, people of God, you deserve, don't forget, don't ever forget this. You deserve to be enemies of that king. You have, with your sin, betrayed the king before the judge of the heavenly kingdom. You stand condemned of yourself. And yet the emperor of heaven, the Caesar of the skies, the God of heaven and earth is not only just, but also merciful. And so great is his mercy toward you, his people, that he has done what no political ruler would ever dare to do or could do. But he, the king of heaven, took upon himself your flesh and your blood, your position and your status, not only as a pauper, not only as a weakling, not only as a mere lowly creature, but as an enemy, as an enemy of the kingdom of heaven. That's the position he took for you. And he suffered in your place the justice that you deserve for your sin because his mercy was so great unto you. And for each of his people, each one of his people that he has chosen to be in his kingdom, this divine ruler, this Caesar, greater than any Caesar, paid the high price not only to pardon you in his court, not only to declare you righteous before himself, but also to earn for you the right to be translated out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of marvelous light. And so in time after you were born, or perhaps even before you were born, he has worked in you his kingship. He's taken your heart, who by nature is an enemy in the kingdom of darkness, under the prince of the power of this world, and brought you under him in his grace. Now you are a citizen of Christ's kingdom. You are under his rule. And the world may think that being under the rule of King Jesus is slavery. But the child of God says, yeah, indeed, indeed, I'm a slave of Christ, but this too is my freedom. Because under the rule of Christ, you see, you are truly free. Not free as the world counts freedom, but now free from guilt, 
free from shame, free from death, free from darkness, free from the selfishness of your human heart, freed unto the selfless service of your Savior. Your benefit is that, remember the benefits of the citizen of the kingdom of Christ, your benefit is that although all the people around you and all the courts around you and even your conscience may accuse you and judge you as guilty, the king of heaven and earth judges you as righteous. Your benefit is that this king now sovereignly rules over all things to make every decision from heaven above for your advantage and never against you. Your benefit is the right to a heavenly home, to a place so much better than Rome or America. And immediately at death you gain the presence of the king himself in his house of many mansions. And when he returns, the new heavens and the new earth, your benefit is the citizenship freely given to you in the kingdom of Christ. That's your gospel. And your benefit is too that you have duties, honorable duties, that's part of citizenship, remember. Not you have to serve him. You get to serve him. You have the privilege to do so. You have the privilege, the honor of serving King Jesus and to know, to know that he personally calls you to serve him in whatever, whatever capacity of life, whatever status of life you feel yourself in, whether in the home, whether at a store, whether at school, whether on the job, doing the menial, the most menial of tasks that is not respected by anyone else in this world. Your honor is that you are employed by King Jesus as a citizen in his kingdom. While a vast number of people around you cannot serve this king, you may and you can. Always with the privilege that you do not have to fear this king ever punishing you for any sins which taint your service of him. What a glorious citizenship you have. And the calling of Paul to the Philippians and to us is this. Live. Live as citizens of this kingdom. Conduct yourself with a life that is consistent with this gospel of the kingdom of Christ. That's what the calling is. Live as you are. Why would you want to live any other way? Think of the folly of it. Think of the foolishness of it. Foolish, wouldn't it be, 
If the Philippians who are Roman citizens decided that they were going to live like slaves instead, what would you say about a Roman citizen who said, we're going to decide to live as though we're not Roman citizens. We don't have to pay all this tribute. We're going to anyways. We have the right to a fair trial, but we're going to forego it. Give me the lashings. We may, to, we may appeal to Caesar if we, if we want to. No, I'll, I'll just take, I'll take what these courts that are unfair to me, I'll take what they give me. And you would say, foolish, why would you live as though you're not a Roman citizen? Take advantage of what you have, of the benefits and also you would say of the Roman citizen who doesn't do his duty, foolish. Foolish not to honor the king. Foolish to begin dishonoring his name. For off with your head it will be. Foolish to be a traitor. Foolish too as an American citizen. If you were to say, I'll give up all my rights, all my privileges, all my benefits. I'll live as a slave back before the Civil War. Foolish to neglect your duties and paying your taxes and following the laws of the land. But far, far, far more foolish is this, young people. Far more foolish is this, people of God. That as citizens of the kingdom of Christ with a precious gospel regarding that kingdom, that we live as though we aren't. Why do we live as though we still have the guilt of our sins? Why do we live as though the king is against us? Why do we live as though he is not sovereignly ruling for us? Why do we live as though we're still a slave to Satan and to our selfishness? Why do we live like this as though we're a slave to Satan and sin? Stop being foolish. The word comes to me too. Indeed, he forgives our foolishness. Thanks be to God. Forgives the foolishness every day that we have in Jesus Christ. But oh, stop living as though you are citizens of the kingdom of darkness yet. Stop living as though you are citizens of Rome and America, and that's all there is. That's ridiculous from the perspective of heaven. Live consistent with the gospel of your citizenship in the kingdom of Christ. Believers, next week, when you approach the Lord's Supper, approach as citizens of the kingdom of Christ, not of this earth. Come, truly believing, repenting of your folly, and believing in the good news. At times, life on earth as citizens of the kingdom will seem easy. Young people, for many of you, 
life seems pretty easy. Some difficulties, a nice home, nice car, enough money, abundance of food and drink, technology, entertainment, and all the rest of the material things of this earth. Life seems pretty easy. As a young person, you have your parents very often giving you so much. But beloved, don't live inconsistent with the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Don't forget, you're a pilgrim and stranger here below. Live not for the here and now. Live not attached to the things here. Live not. For luxury and pleasures. Live not to be served. But to serve the king. Fellow Americans. As citizens of America. You and I frequently get caught up in po politics. We get caught up in what's going on in, in the world. And, and, and in American politics. Who's going to be the next president? Who we're going to vote for. All the benefits that they might give to us if they become the president or remain the president. And while we ought to know what's going on in politics. And it's proper to have a desire for the freedoms that we may receive with certain men in power. Let us be far more interested in the election of Jesus Christ and our own election. Far more interested in that than the elections to come. Let us be far more interested in the constitution of Christ's kingdom founded in the scriptures. Than in the constitution of the United States of America. Let us be far more interested in the work of the church. Where Christ's kingdom is revealed. And in the work of the state. In an earthly kingdom which will be destroyed. Times on this earth may sometimes seem easy. And we get caught up in all the material things and the politics. Sometimes life on earth will be difficult. Extremely difficult. In fact, that is the context, remember. Paul is speaking as one who is in prison, about to face death. The Philippians are suffering persecution themselves by their adversaries. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In that context too. When, and you better expect it. When. You have to yet live on this earth as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And the temptations come. And the threats come. And the economic persecution comes. Live consistent with this gospel. That you are a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. There are many applications about how the text gives us two main thoughts 
on the manner of how to conduct ourselves as citizens consistent with the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. Two words in our text encapsulate the manner striving together. Striving together. First, our text says, striving. That's the manner. And the word there should bring to our minds the idea of fighting a defensive battle for the truth of the gospel. That he stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Think of that picture from Roman culture, remember? The picture is that of a soldier. The Philippians had that in mind. Some of them in the Philippian church may have been soldiers themselves in the Roman army. It's the picture of a soldier that has two feet planted firmly in the ground. Don't lose that picture. Two feet planted firmly upon the ground with a sword and a shield in his hands. What's not the case with this soldier? Two things. The picture is that of a soldier that is not, it's not, he's not, lunging forward, wildly flailing his arms and his sword to draw first blood. He's firmly planted in the ground. He's not, secondly, a soldier that is running backwards, fleeing, but he's firmly planted in the ground. That's the picture of this text. Stand fast, that he stand fast in a defensive sort of battle with resoluteness, with self-control, ready for the battle, but not over-eager, willing to stand his ground boldly to fight a defensive battle, not merely for himself, but for God's people, parrying with that sword and that shield, parrying sometimes attacks which come from different fronts, multiple fronts, parrying the blows. Our text describes a soldier in that defensive stance, defending, Paul says, the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel is the objective faith. That is the truth. That is the doctrine of God's word, which three young ladies claimed this evening they would adhere to. And to adhere to them, those doctrines, is to fight for them. Young ladies may think, that because they are women in the church, they are not soldiers. We'll leave it to the men. We'll leave it to our future husbands. We'll leave it to the office bearers. And that's not true. You may not usurp the authority of the men who are your husbands, your office bearers. But you must, like that soldier, have two feet, as it were, planted in the ground not wavering from the truth or the faith of the gospel that has been handed down to you. 
even if your husband and even if your elders or any respectable person in your life waver, you're called not to waver in honor of them. Don't forget that. But you're called not to waver. And therefore you're called to develop, to increase your knowledge, to study the scriptures, to make sure you understand them day by day. You understand the creeds day by day, even as women in the church of Jesus Christ, even as young people in the church of Jesus Christ. Let what is taking place in our churches today be a lesson to us in this regard. That we never put off the study of scriptures ourselves. And we never depend on men and what they teach us themselves. But we seek by faith to search the scriptures diligently. To see if these things are true. So that we do not waver. And that doesn't mean going around being suspicious of everyone and anyone. But it means that before we quickly agree. We see. If it is founded upon the word of God, upon which we stand, doctrine is boring to people today. But for citizens in the kingdom of Christ, doctrine is about Jesus. And those who believe in Jesus hold to doctrine, committed to it. They fight for it. And when you see those who may be fighting in an ungodly manner, that may not deter you from the necessity of fighting. This is, Paul says, the Spirit says, the manner in which we live our lives consistent with the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. Jude 1 verse 3. You should earnestly contend for the faith. Which was once delivered unto the saints. Be careful. Be careful. Remember that picture I said. Two feet planted on the ground. That soldier. And ask now. Why would a soldier. Why would a soldier jump to attack wildly or rashly? And why would a soldier flee backward? Why would he not maintain his stance? It's the same reason. It's fear. It's fear. It's fear that I might be called a heretic. It's fear that people will condemn me that I didn't join the right side. Or it's fear. I don't dare to stand for what is true from God's word. Don't be afraid. Jesus said that again and again to his disciples and to soldiers and citizens in his kingdom. Fear not, fear not. That's what makes a soldier break his stance. Fear not. Do not run away. Do not jump. 
In nothing, verse 28, be terrified. Fear not what men may think. Fear not what family members may think. Fear not what this or that minister may think. Fear not the names that may be hurled at you. Fear not. Fear makes you overreact. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The battle belongs to the Lord. In the battle too, we trust him. We cling to the captain of the Lord's armory, Jesus Christ himself, who says, you're on my side. I fight for you. You don't have to save the church. I do. I preserve them as well. And I'll preserve you in the battle. Stand firm. Be courageous. Trust in Jesus. This is the conduct that is consistent with the gospel of Christ. That first. And secondly, the manner, the manner is this. Stay united. Stay together. Now think about that, young people. Think with me. Think of those two activities now. The first one we just addressed, fighting, and then uniting, which we consider now. Striving, and then staying together. And many would say those are opposites. Mutually exclusive. And I tell you on the basis of God's word tonight, if you think that striving and uniting are opposites, then you either have a wrong idea of unity or you have the wrong idea of fighting. The biblical idea of both joins the two together. The Spirit inspires the words of our text striving together in this way, in the original. It is one word. It's not striving together as two separate words. It's one word. Strive together. That's the manner of living consistent. A citizen of the kingdom of Christ. And that brings us to the third part of Roman culture. The word striving has the word athlete in it. Athletics, Paul says, like athletes, strive together. And Paul brings to mind for the Romans and for us, not, not the athletes that went at their sports on them, by themselves, but now athletes that huddle up, as it were. They're on the same page. There's an orderly way in which you're organized and they proceed toward the battle. And then together, as a team, we say, they strive for the same goal that is, this text says, for the faith of the gospel. Paul emphasizes his unity by repeating it three times. Stand fast with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So the application, 
stop fighting against each other. Start fighting with one another. Strive together. The Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of his army and church and team, as it were, says, what happens to a team? What happens to a team, young people, when the athletes are fighting against each other? The fight is lost. That's what happens. Now more seriously, what happens when an army of soldiers fight against one another, as many of the enemies of the Israelites did? There is no more fight. There is only an opening ourselves up to the attacks of the enemy. And we can yell all we want. I'm fighting for the truth. I'm fighting for the truth. I'm fighting for the truth. But if it's to the destruction of one another, not with a charitable spirit that discerns the brother from the enemy, it makes the church unable to fight. Are there times when members of the church have to part ways? Yes. There are times. But let there be clear, clear, clear differences of doctrine that we know the other holds to. If we're sure we're disagree, that there is a group that holds to false doctrine, then we must depart. But before that, strive together. That's the manner. Beloved, this is the only thing to remember. The priority. If I, as your minister, die tonight after I preach this sermon and there is nothing you remember of me, only this, let your conduct be consistent with the citizenship that you have in the kingdom of Christ, especially by your striving together for the faith of the gospel. Only this. That's what Paul meant with the word only. He faced death. He told the Philippians he would remain. He believed the Lord would give him more life. But he might die. Only this, Paul says, let your conduct be consistent with the gospel of Christ. Nothing else is nearly as important. Not even the earthly ties which bind me and you, Paul says. Whether I come to you, he says in the text, or be absent, that matters less. Conduct yourself consistent with the gospel.
Let this be your priority. Even if I can't hold you accountable, that's what he means by his presence. Even if I am not present with you to make sure that you're holding to the faith of the gospel and living your life consistent with this gospel. Even if you had no accountability, you were by yourself. Live your life as before the eyes of God and not before the eyes of men. Whether I be absent or present, this is the priority. This is the priority you must have as you come to the supper next Sunday. And when you fail, when you fail, when I fail, because we are all inconsistent on this side of glory, we will sometimes live as citizens of this world, not committed to the doctrines of Scripture as we should be, fighting against each other rather than with each other. When we sin, foolishly living like citizens of the here and now rather than the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. When we fail, I say, then this, this is a life consistent with the gospel. Repent together and find your forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ, your King. Nowhere else. And forgive one another. That's consistency with the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, our Savior, our Lord, our Captain, we praise Thee for the citizenship that Thou hast graciously and freely granted us in Jesus Christ, in Thy kingdom of heaven. We thank Thee for the benefits and the duties we have as Thy citizens. May the captain of Thy army lead us by his word and spirit. May he call us irresistibly tonight too, that we may not be foolish, but that we may strive together for the faith of the gospel, living as soldiers, as athletes, as citizens, for thy glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.